Welcome to the Hunts Backcountry Podcast. This is episode number 408, and it is the second episode in our Backpack Hunt Breakdown series. Today, our guest is Ben Reynolds, and he joins us to tell a story that is just amazing. There's, It's a cool hunting story, but there's also so much as we use this formula and this process to kind of break down the hunt. There's so much to learn, so much to pull from it. So the context of this story is an Alaskan sheep hunt that's solo, and it's later in the season with difficult conditions. Now, not many of us will ever have the opportunity to hunt sheep or even to hunt sheep solo, especially. But there's so much to apply and learn from Ben in this story. And once again, it's just a great combination of an amazing, enjoyable hunting story but really small practical takeaways that you can apply to your hunts for different species in different contexts. We got a lot of great feedback from the latest episode, the first episode in the series, the Backpack Hunting Breakdown, and I'm excited to continue this series and share today's episode with Ben with you. As always, guys, we do appreciate the feedback and the support and the questions If you have anything for us to share, reach out via email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, or you can look for the link in the show description that says leave a message, and you can use whatever device you're on right now to leave us an audio message or question that we can answer on a future Monday Minute episode. Before we dive into this conversation with Ben, I also wanted to remind you guys that here in the month of July 2023, as this episode is released, We're doing a giveaway with our friends from Outdoor Vitals, and you can win their Ventus hoodie. It is a great piece that Steve and I have used a lot over the last few years and excited to be able to share with you the opportunity to win one. If you want to enter into that giveaway, it's really simple. Just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast and look for the entry form. There will also be a link for that in the show description as well. Hit pause and do that now if you haven't entered yet, and then come right back and let's dive into this conversation with Ben Reynolds. Well, Ben, welcome to the podcast, man. Super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, good morning, Mark and Steve. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, excited, excited to have you on and Hear some about your adventures. Oh, great. Ben, I've been a, a little bit aware of your stuff, just like seeing some posts on Rock Slide and whatnot. And Steve, you met Ben at the Alaska Sheep Banquet, right? Yeah, I think we've been messaging through Instagram a little bit off and on for the last year or so. I know he, Ben kind of gave me some insight on the death hike last year of like, I think most of it was post hike, like, ah, you guys probably should have gone over here or <laughs> had a better experience. Um, and then, yeah, we got to meet face to face for the first time up at Sheep Show. And been just from the outside looking in, just somebody who gets after it and hunts hard and, and is consistently successful. Oh yeah. Thanks Steve. Yeah. It was, uh, it was more, uh, uh, wanting you guys to come back up and do another death hike and, and join in. I was, I have always been a little bit envious of the in- incredible death hikes you guys have got to experience over the years. Yeah. Well, it'd be fun to get back up there and have you join us. That's for dang sure. Um, just start with like for listeners to get to know you, Ben, what's some kind of like introduction and background and just a little bit about yourself before we dive into this hunting story. Yeah. So I 
am an avid sheep hunter. Um, that's uh, really what my my lifestyle uh, revolves around. One of the things, anyways, is is mountain hunting and and sheep hunting in particular, and um, for the most part, solo sheep hunting. Um, I just love the 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 whole process of of sheep hunting of of the planning the the gear the the execution and the challenge of it um so uh, every every fall i'll spend about a month uh, going on on multiple sheep hunts um throughout alaska and uh and then in the winter time and and spring i spend a lot of time uh split boarding and uh and, and in the mountains as well and my wife and i own a small business so we we work from April, end of April through end of October with the, uh, the break in the middle for sheep hunting, um, and then take the rest of the year off. So we've uh, really have just developed a, a good lifestyle, um, around our passions up here in Alaska. That's awesome. What does your wife like to do in terms of getting outdoors? Uh, not the, the crazy things that I like to do as much, <laughs> but we, we really enjoy, uh, uh backpacking together, uh, uh, kayaking, going out, and uh, having just really fun adventures in beautiful places that don't involve um, death hikes or bushwhacking or some of the other aspects that come along with with mountain hunting. When you were talking about sheep hunting and logistics and planning and all that stuff, the, it's like skipping almost to the end of the conversation. And this is a big question, but there's a lot of residents up there that sheep hunt every year that don't kill sheep. Like why, what are they doing wrong? I don't know um, is uh, what they're doing wrong more than I, than I really try to just get all the things right. <laughs> I really try <laughs> to uh, really step up my game as far as, as research, um, researching the terrain, uh, researching um, uh, the prior history of certain areas, um, not so much scouting. Um, I don't normally have enough time in the summer to go out and spend a lot of time scouting in an area, um, mm -hmm. but I just try to use the my my past experiences um, uh, to gain knowledge of an area, and then also um, training year round to be uh, to be capable and and physically fit and and mentally fit enough to be able to go out and and really put in a lot of miles and vertical and 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 put in the effort needed to to find find a ram is pretty much all of your sheep hunting been solo been uh no i i've spent um a few years uh, hunting with a, a couple different partners and i've i really loved it it's really it's it's different than when you're solo hunting. Um, it, it feels almost like a different experience, and it's great. I, I really enjoy um, being out with with good friends um, doing that. But I found most of my success um, when I've been solo. I've I've killed five sheep, um, but only one has been with a partner. Uh, all the rest have been solo. What is your background just with Alaska? Are you a lifetime resident or transplant up there later in life? I'm just curious on that. Yeah, I was born and raised here in, in Southeast Alaska is where I grew up um, and spent a, a decade commercial fishing. Um, and, and, and before that, I would uh, deer hunt with my, my dad down on Prince of Wales Island where, where I grew up. And, uh, 
And so, uh, yeah, we only really got into mountain hunting um, in the way that I do it now after I ended my commercial fishing career because then it freed up time um, in the fall to really uh, pursue pursue hunting in the way that I do it now. So the past 10 years now, um, I've, I've been into it a lot more. This series is something I've really been excited about. And uh, having now recorded a couple of these conversations, I am really eager to have this conversation with you just kind of in the way that we've structured the series and to uh, hear you break some things down. But before we dive into kind of the specific categories, for lack of a better term, um, can you kind of set the context for the hunt that we'll be talking about today? Yeah, sure. So the hunt that I'm going to break down is the third sheep hunt that I did this last year. Uh, the first hunt, I went in with a partner that had a super cub into a, a different part um, of Alaska in another range. And we flew around a lot um, and ultimately didn't find any sheep from the air that we wanted to land and go, go after. Um, it, there's been a, um, a, a lack of eight and nine-year-old rams um, in the few different ranges that I hunt this year. Um, and so we saw lots of six and seven-year-olds, but nothing we really wanted to go after that were older. Um, and I don't normally fly. That was the first time using a cub to, uh, to go into an area. Um, and it, it was pretty cool seeing a lot of terrain from the air, um, but I didn't really feel like we, we really saw all the sheep that were in that area. Um, I really prefer to go in on foot and really spend the time uh, uh, viewing everything from the ground and, and getting a better sense of what's in there, which seems a little counterintuitive being on the ground rather than in the air, um, but that's, that's how I like to do it. Um, so we ended that hunt after spending about a week on the ground. Um, and then the second hunt, I went in with a, a longtime partner that I've hunted other species with as well. And we used pack rafts to get way into an area, um, way up a river by a glacier. And, and we ultimately got um, an 11-year-old ram for him on day nine of that hunt. And then we're able to pack raft and, and hike out of that area. Um, and, and that hunt really kind of set the stage for, for the hunt that I'm going to describe because we went in heavy with pack rafts um, on our back. We, uh, our packs were in the high 60s uh, with the rafts and, and all the food that we needed for, uh, for this longer hunt. And uh, we really just uh, covered the area fairly slowly. And um, so it really just prepped my, uh, myself to uh, to really kind of finish off the, the, the shape that I needed to be in to pull off a, a solo hunt. Um, so we got back from that hunt and a couple of weeks later, towards the end of the season, which ends on September 20th, uh, is when I, I decided to go into an area that I had researched and had actually scouted several times in the past, but hadn't ever uh, gave it a, a shot to really hunt it before seriously. Um, so, uh, on September 17th, uh, just a few days before the season ended is when I went in on this hunt. Well, this first kind of category we want to break down is planning. And that has everything to do with, you know, the tag and the opportunity, which for you as a, as a resident of Alaska is pretty straightforward. Uh, 
scouting, things like that. You mentioned a little bit, but then like the hunt plan, specific gear choices, et cetera, that go into the planning aspect of this hunt. And I think for me, one of the first things that comes to mind is just the fact that it's so late in the season. Um, I tend to hear from most guys with sheep hunting, that's, you know, more early season focused and things like that. And I just don't have like as much, uh, context for what it's like to hunt later into September, uh, for sheep specifically. So I guess that's where I want to start is like, is this a late sheep hunt, something you had done before, or how did that kind of like affect the plan of this specific hunt for you? Yeah. So going in late definitely is it can be different than an early season, August 10th opening sheep hunt. Um, you just have a lot more chance of getting snow um, and of bad weather, though I have had really good weather in the end of September as well. Uh, nice, crisp, clear and cold temps, um, which is uh, which is super nice to hunt in. But when you're going in this late, you you your gear choices have to reflect that and, and need to be able to to withstand a, a several day storm or snow. Um, so the, the, your weight, your packing weight is going to be slightly heavier than an early season hunt. Um, but I have hunted late season before and, and actually two of my previous sheep have been taken on September 19th, uh, the day before the season ends. Um, uh, in 2021, um, however, I went in solo and and killed my uh, my largest ram today uh, a 40 inch nine-year-old ram on opening morning on august 10th um so it kind of it, it goes back and forth between uh when i'm successful it seems uh, uh maybe spending a lot of days in the field one year and then ultimately killing a ram at the end of the season uh gives me ideas of where to go the next year and the, then going in the next season um, I seem to find success early in the year because I, I've spent so much time the year before. But then uh, when you kill something on opening morning, you're not going to end up spending as much time uh, uh, scouting and figuring out new areas and, and uh, getting eyes on sheep that interest you for the next season. So it seems like the next season takes longer to get around. So <laughs> it just jumps back and forth between early season, and late season. You find that the rams from year to year tend to live in the same areas. Like if you see a, a nice seven-year-old looking ram, that like, oh yeah, next year I'm gonna, you know, he should be right here in this basin. Or do they when they winter? Do they when they travel back up? Do they, you know, go to different areas? Yeah, they do winter um, in slightly different areas. It seems, um, mm -hmm. but when you're in there every year at the same time of year, uh, whether you're scouting in late July or in an area uh, when the season opens in early august uh, you tend to see them in a similar place than uh, okay. as they were before in terms of this late season you mentioned gear choices and i know you know you and uh myself and steve we were talking before this recording and ben you mentioned kind of like the similarities between your story and steve's elk hunting story that's part of the series a bit and one of the things we mentioned in that conversation with Steve is like these late season hunts in all reality, like your gear is very, very similar. The 80 to 90% is very similar to an early season hunt, but it's just those few important changes and distinctions that, you know, that 10% call it that really make the difference for a later season hunt with the potential of, you know, storms, snow, et cetera. So what were, 
in terms of planning still some of the gear changes you made for this hunt compared to say that august 10th opener you know there wasn't actually a whole lot of difference um i might take a insulated hood to use um, when i'm sleeping um i may take a, a light pair of, of puffy pants to to wear as well um but besides that that was uh that was basically it um i knew it was going to be uh wet and cold so as far as gloves i would bring a pair of showa tamaris uh rubber gloves that are uh, insulated and breathable as well um, and those showas really are a game changer in sleet and snow um, but besides that everything was basically the same so i, I knew that i was going to go in really deep um, and have to cover a, a huge uh, a vertical relief to get in and out of this area. So I still um, packed really light um, in order to be able to travel efficiently going in. And then also um, if I was successful to have, uh, have my weight down enough that I could get everything out um, in a reasonable manner. Um, so I just knew that I was going to probably suffer a little bit more um, on a late season hunt like this. Um, I really don't take a lot of clothes. Um, uh, I take a, a noon attack gear puffy jacket, um, and that's my insulating layer, and uh, and just use my my rain gear um, to add that uh, over the top to add that insulating layer and and wind uh, and to break the wind. Um, so I, I don't take, uh, I don't take a lot of gear with me. <laughs> I was a question that popped in my mind is how do you personally approach like finding that balance between ultralight gear and maybe suffering a little bit more or packing a little bit more weight for you know, just to stay more comfortable out there. And it sounds like you're in the camp of go as light as possible. And part of the sun's just going to suck, but I, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I go with a lightweight rain gear Sitka dew point is what I used this last year. And, um, it, uh, everything else is just optimized to be as effective as possible while being as light as possible. So just over the years, I've really refined my, my gear kit down, um, to uh, the most effective as it can be. Um, and I sent you guys a, a, a lighterpacks.com uh, gear list um, that you could put up in the show notes if anyone's interested in seeing what a gear list uh, for a hunt like this would look like. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting us share that. It's going to be a great resource for guys to check out and we will have that in the show notes for sure. So Planning and again, a lot of these categories like intersect. So these aren't, you know, hard lines we're drawing, but plan planning transitions to kind of the hunt beginning. And then a lot of that for a backpack style hunt, you've already kind of mentioned this is just what we're calling managing. So it's like managing your time and your energy, um, how you're using terrain to your advantage or overcoming the obstacles of, you know, certain types of terrain and really just kind of this efficiency perspective. Uh, and then I, it, to me, a couple things that stand out that are unique is you've already hinted at, this is your third kind of big hunt of the season, you know, between August and September. And were you 
feeling at all kind of like beat up by this point? I mean, you had done this previous pack raft hunt or successful with your friend. It sounds like that was a pretty long hunt, fairly heavy packs, etc. How were you feeling going into the solo hunt? Yeah, so I don't think I've ever gone into a hunt feeling as good as this hunt. Um, everything was, uh, was great. Um, no nagging injuries. Um, I felt super strong. Uh, like I said, that, that pack raft hunt was just a great, uh, warm up for this hunt. Um, and so I, I really felt like I was kind of, uh, peaking as far as performance for the year, um, after, uh, uh, the whole winter spent split boarding and, and ski touring and then uh, and then pack training and, and, and lifting throughout the, the rest of the year. Um, it really felt like this was kind of the, the ultimate uh, the, or the penultimate hunt of the year. Um, so I, I had a lot of confidence um, going in that um, it was going to be able to to go in there and, and, and pull it off. Um, so I the area that I was going to go into um, it's a difficult area to, to access. Um, there's lots of, uh, lots of high mountains, loose rock, um, brush down low. And, uh, the access was, was something that I knew was going to be, be difficult. So over the past few years, I had tried to figure out access into the Alpine and had, had found an area that, uh, wouldn't be, be too bad to get into, um, and uh so so going in as far as um managing the train and and figuring out where i wanted to hunt um since i hadn't been back as far as where i wanted to hunt i just knew that um i knew that i was going to have to cover a lot of ground fairly uh fairly quickly um as it was already the the 17th of september when i went in and also i knew that a guide operates um, in an area similar to this, but they were most likely out of there by now. But I knew if they if they had been successful, I would have to go um, uh, maybe even further than where they normally hunt. Um, and so that was the the mindset going in was that I was going to need to get into the Alpine as quick as possible, and then and then cover a lot of ground. Um, in short order to to get back to where uh, there might be a, a legal ram. Hmm. This almost jumps back to the planning phase, and you mentioned it earlier. But getting that sheep out on a solo hunt, like I've, I've been a part of two successful doll sheep hunts, but I've always had there was first time there's three of us, it's the last time there's me and Tyler, so two of us, and that's not that bad, right? You just we each got like eighty pound packs each coming out, and just, you know it's not bad. I always thought, man, if you were to do this solo, this would be tough <laughs> to put it mildly um so how are you what's kind of your strategy to you know all right obviously you're going to be optimistic like i'm going to go back there i'm going to kill sheep and then you know the pack out has to be a major part of the thought process yeah definitely it is um uh, being uh, smaller myself um my my sheep weight is around 136 138 pounds so even if i'm going in with uh, uh 30 36 to 40 pounds pack in weight which is as light as i can get if i'm going with light optics um and going in for about a week um it's right around that 40 pound mark um you add in 
60 pounds of boned out meat and 25 pounds for the the head and horns and then the the shoulder mount cape if you're bringing that out and uh, you pretty quickly get up to uh, like 125 130 pounds um, so if, if it's easy terrain coming out, I can, I can single carry, um, on moderate terrain, um, if it's, if it's not too bad. Um, but I really have to plan my pack out strategy around, uh, double carrying, uh, the, the really, uh, steep parts or, or rough terrain. Um, so I just do a mix of single carry if it's moderate to easy and then double carrying, um, and then uh, double carrying really gets that load down to uh, the 70, 80 pound mark, which, um, mm-hmm. like you said, is a lot more manageable. Yeah. So you're just kind of, you know, you got 20 mile pack out and you're just doing this, you're breaking it up into segments and just kind of leapfrogging the meat all the way out. You're not just doing one whole trip out going back. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So if, uh, if it's an area like uh, this hunt, um, it's, it's way too steep and, and rough, um, to safely carry out a, a single load for me, um, which would be my body weight, um, in pack weight. So I knew that I was going to uh, double carry out of here if I got a ram. And then, so you're just, you do that in two mile chunks, five mile chunks. What's kind of the, your approach there or just terrain yeah, dependent? It, it, yeah, terrain dependent, but it often ends up being, uh, like you said, between that two and five mile range. I don't like to go uh, too far, um, leaving the meat or my gear behind. Um, mm. One, if there's predators in the area for the meat, and two, if if weather moves in and I'm I'm far away from from uh, my my necessary gear uh though on on this hunt it there was weather and the train is such that if i was to get hurt and i didn't have the right gear with me if i was say five miles away from most of my gear and and i broke an ankle or or is injured in some other way or a storm moved in um it could be a, a really bad situation so i always kept um uh, my puffy layers um, uh, and rain gear, of course, and first aid kit food with me the entire time. So mm-hmm. even though I was dropping one load off and then going back for the, the rest empty, it wasn't completely empty. I would still have, uh, say, 15 pounds in my pack with me the entire time of that necessary gear in case something happened on e- any one of those legs. Um, yeah. So it made the the pack weight um a little bit heavier so i was definitely in that 80 pound range um with both loads even though there was maybe only 130 pounds total if i was to single carry mm-hmm. i didn't even think about that portion of yeah you know, it's alaska you're not you're not leaving uh you know not having uh life-saving stuff not with you yeah it definitely it definitely adds another level of complexity versus my elk hunt where you know it's it's cold but um yeah, it wasn't an issue at all to even think twice about just leaving all my gear up at the motorcycle and going back down and getting meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely a consideration. There's, uh, there's been a lot of a lot of sheep hunters and hunters in general that have found themselves in in pretty bad situations when they didn't have the the right gear with them, and and especially being solo. Um, though, if 
being in such rough terrain and um, even if you did have a partner, um, it, you, it would offer some benefit, but you're still going to have to take care of yourself uh, that far back until, until you could get help, um, which could be days away. Mm-hmm. Along the same lines of protection, what do you do for bear protection up there? So I normally just carry my, my sheep rifle, which is a, a Barrett Fieldcraft uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, and I shoot monolithic uh, Barnes 127 um, bullets. Mm. And I've never had an issue with bears. Um, but I, even though it's a smaller caliber shooting those monolithic bullets, um, they have great penetration. So I'm relying on a uh, the right shot placement <laughs> if I had an issue with a bear um, in mm-hmm. order to 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 stop it um, if I if I had an encounter that that turned bad um, when I'm packing out if it's open terrain if I'm double carrying and packing out in open terrain um, I may leave my rifle um, uh, with one of the loads and go back empty um, but that's only if I'm not around um, uh, brushy terrain that I haven't seen before. And, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. confident that there's no bears in the area. Gotcha. Jumping back Ben, to like you mentioned, just this approach of it's the 17th, you really just have a few days to hunt a big effort to get in there. And you talked about kind of the efficiency and almost urgency in a way of how you need to cover that ground. Can you kind of elaborate on what that looks like? What's like, what, what type of distance or elevation or like time frame even was it to be like okay hunt starts here hunt starts now but i really need to get here to huntable country or do i think sheep may be to give myself a chance what did that look like to to cover that ground so i had left my house uh, on the 16th and drove through the night to get to where i wanted to park my truck and and just slept in the back of the truck and got up early on the 17th, um, loaded up the, the rest of my gear and, and headed up. And that first day, um, I knew that there had been other hunters in the area. There was a couple other trucks uh, where I had parked. Um, but I, uh, being that late in the season and with the, the forecasted weather, I knew they probably wouldn't be as far out as I was going, but I didn't really uh, I, I didn't really know, but also, um, within the first few miles, you do get into sheep train, but since there was other trucks there, I didn't even, um, bother, uh, to look around to try to try to see if there's any sheep because anywhere that's close to a, a trailhead or, or a highway, um, is going to get pressured. That wasn't really what I was interested in. I, I really wanted to find an old ram uh, way back here by the glaciers. Um, so I, I took off and um, that first day I went up and over um, a, a 6,500 foot mountain. Um, the truck was down at less than a thousand feet. So it was really a, a big push to get up and over a, a big peak and then down the other side into another drainage. Um, before heading back up into the mountains so that that by that first afternoon i'd gone about 12 miles and 7,000 vertical feet of climbing in total and that that first evening going in um, 
I was uh, just before descending down a, a really big face. Um, I I pulled out my my glass and and spotted a couple of rams several miles further back on a on the next set of mountains, and um, I pulled out my my Koa seventy seven spotter and and threw on the extender to really get a good look at these rams, and they both looked legal. Um, I couldn't quite tell uh, how big they were, but they definitely came up full curl. And so I, uh, I packed up and, and worked my way down this 2000 foot, really steep face. Um, and that was an area that I was really unsure if I would be able to make it past, um, as it, it was so cliffy and, and so steep. Um, and I had, I had received some information from, um, some mountaineers that I know that had been back into this area to, to climb a peak, not to hunt, but to 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 climb a, a few peaks in the area and and had confirmed with them that it does indeed go but from the top it didn't look like it it was uh, it was uh, <laughs> very steep very cliffy um so kind of zigzagging down um to get to the glacier below and so after uh, after getting down after a couple hours of of route finding and getting down to the valley um i I had seen where those two rams had had worked their way to, so I I took off that evening at seven o'clock um, with all my gear still um, uh, up after them, and and got up into this high bowl up in the Alpine and and found them again. But it was it was by that time it was getting dark, and I couldn't quite tell um, uh, if they were legal. I'm just. Uh, just because of the fact that they were slightly obscured by some rocks and uh, the fading light. So that first night I, uh, I found just a, a small area to, to set up my shelter, um, which is a, a mountain laurel designs, Cuban fiber duo mid an ultralight floorless shelter um, and, and found a, a small spot for that and set up for the night. So that first day uh, was a, was a big day. It was, uh, it, it started off in in the rain um and up on the peak it was glowing about 50 and and starting to snow a bit um but then it had started to clear as i descended and that's what allowed me to see those rounds um so that that first day i i'd gone in with a lot of urgency knowing that i needed to cover um a lot of terrain a lot of ground um uh, because i only had um a few days after that to to make something happen just a random thought that popped my mind when you, you said you were hiking in the rain. Obviously, you're putting out a lot of effort. Are you even bothering to wear your rain jacket? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was definitely wearing. I don't tend to to, to overheat and sweat as much as maybe mm. uh, some other guys do. So I I would just wear uh, base layers. And then that, that um, if it's only raining uh, like a little bit, I'll wear a base layer and then a, a Patagonia air shed, which is a, a really light wind shirt that dries fast and blocks the wind a bit. And mm-hmm. I tend to wear that the entire hunt. Um, and then I'll throw the, the dew point jacket on over the top if it starts to, to get a little more windy and wet. Yeah. If, I know me personally, if I was climbing 6,000 feet, I'd, if I had rain gear on, I'd be just as wet if not. So if it was in <laughs> yeah. Idaho, I would just be, well, I'm just... Just wear my thinnest base layer that's going to dry out quickly tonight and just deal with it. But 
Yeah, when you're climbing up from less than a thousand feet, the uh, the air temp is going to be considerably warmer than uh, getting close to seven thousand feet um, late season. So uh, the the higher I went, you know, the the colder and, and nastier the weather got. So, mm. um, and, and the rock is is really loose, lots of black shale and and loose boulders. So you're not moving real fast once you get up high, anyways. Um, so gotcha. you're just trying to take your time and, and root find to, to get up to the top of the peak and then down. Are you wearing micro spikes? No, I, I didn't bring micro spikes um, on this trip. I will um, occasionally goat hunting. Um, but normally, if if I think I'm going to need to use micro spikes, um, the better choice is to gonna be is going to be uh, to wear real crampons. Okay. Um, so goat hunting, I'll, I'll bring uh, some aluminum semi-auto crampons to, to go in my boots. But on this trip, I didn't. Okay. I keep der- derailing everything, Mark. I got too many questions. No, you're good. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say the next quote unquote category is living, which includes like water, food, clothing, shelter, comfort, survivability, et cetera. So we've already touched on that. So natural segue without calling it out. But <laughs> um, to elaborate on that, you mentioned shelter and you mentioned that um mld duo mid is that something that you have a lot of experience with and just kind of really trust up in that country even later season in those conditions between potential snow higher winds etc yeah i do have a lot of experience with it um it's really hard to uh to use anything else when you've used a, a one pound shelter that can withstand wind and rain and I really find that that shelter does a good job of that. As long as you have it staked out um, and really secured well, it's going to withstand, uh, in, in my experience, far more weather than a, a lightweight, uh, traditional style tent. Um, just the shape of it, the wind wraps around it really nicely. It gives you a lot of room inside to 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 set it up and and have a gear explosion and, and organize all your gear and and. Um, without having to uh, to be bent over and, and dealing with limited space, so I really I really do like that shelter. Um, the only issue is if you're in a an area that has limited pitching options, um, it does require uh, quite a bit of uh, space in order to set it up right. And also, if the the ground isn't conducive to uh, to putting stakes in, then you have to. Uh, deal with finding rocks to to use um, uh, for your anchors and and your guy outlines in order to to pitch it, um, and so I, it wasn't the most ideal shelter choice for this trip, just due to the fact that it was really rocky and um, limited flat areas. Um, but that's what I that's what I use just to keep the weight down. Um, in the future, I may go back to using a, a freestanding tent for some of these hunts. Um, and I have a, a Hilleberg Nyack now that that I may use um, in, in future situations in areas like this, just because I can get it erected really quick, um, move it around with it uh, with it erected and and just find that that perfect sleeping area um, as opposed to as opposed to if you set up a free a non freestanding, a shelter and you don't get it quite right and you've got a big lump or or depression right where you want to sleep it's not like you can just pick it up and move it around um so a, a freestanding tent like that nyack um 
would actually be a good choice as well, just because you can run it uh, without the anner and run it floorless if you want, but just have that speed and ease of use. Um, mm-hmm. But the the duo mid has been my shelter of choice for a, a number of years now. When you go, uh, you what do you have underneath your sleeping pad if you're going floorless? Uh, so I'll just bring a a, a small piece of. Uh, a window film, uh, just a real thin, like 0.5 mil, uh, like painter's plastic or window film. And I'll use that to, to put my, my sleeping pad, um, out on, uh, though actually on this trip, I did pick up a Z packs DCF bathtub floor, which is, a a, I think it's about four ounces. Um, and it's a a Cuban fiber bathtub floor. And that's what I use on this trip. And uh, whatever you use for a ground sheet, I'll often end up using to wrap the cape in as well. So uh, it's kind of Um, Mm. multi-use. But that that bathtub floor on this on this uh, on this inner um, well, not the inner, but just the the ground sheet came in handy later on on another campsite when I had water flowing through my duo mid and going up against that bathtub floor. So it was, it was definitely a a good call to have that. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned water flow and I was actually going to ask you just from the, the livability perspective on a hunt like this, did you have to be strategic with your own water allocation or was there just kind of water anywhere and everywhere that you needed? Yeah. For the most part, there was plenty of water. There's glaciers in the area. Um, there's recent precip snow up high and rain down low and and lots of creeks and and runoff from from glaciers as well. So this really wasn't um, an issue on this trip, uh, though. On some of the uh, the the sheep hunts I've done, where you're getting high and staying high on a on a ridge line um, it, where it could be dry, then uh, carrying extra water with a with a bladder. Um, is going to be the way to go but i i didn't have to worry about that on this this hunt you've touched on a couple things in terms of clothing wearing your rain gear you mentioned that air shed uh hoodie things like that can you just kind of elaborate more on your call it clothing system for lack of better terms but what type of layers you tend to prefer whether that's you know merino versus synthetic for base or just different things that you've used or changed or just kind of refined over time and what some of your go-tos are from a pretty big picture clothing wise sure so for for base layers i prefer a, a merino um just for the the fact that it 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 feels nice it um it's it's warm it doesn't start to smell like uh, some of the synthetic um, base layers i've used in the past so i'll basically start with a uh, merino base layer um uh, for uh, for pants, um, I'll just run a, a ultralight uh, soft shell pant. Um, currently, I'm using a, a Barney's PA18 uh, pant that uh, that Kevin um, here in Anchorage at, at Barney Sport Chalet uh, developed over the last couple of years um, with vents in them. And uh, typically, I'll just wear uh, those without a base layer, and then I'll wear a uh, a thin like 150 weight or 125 weight uh, merino t-shirt with an air shed over the top of that um, an active insulation jacket uh, such as like the the QU Kenai 
um, and then the the dew point. Um, so it's a pretty basic system. Um, and then late season will have that Nunatak gear, synthetic uh, puffy, and possibly some QU super down pants. Um, and so if it's if it's really cold at night, I'll just use those insulating layers to to supplement my sleep system. And I've I've gotten away from using quilts, which I used for for quite a few years. But I would always find that I would get a get a draft at some point in the night, even if it wasn't that cold of a draft. It would it would wake me up, and I and I like to uh, to switch positions in the middle of the night from back to side, to sometimes on my stomach, and I even using pad straps. I I just never found it. Uh, to be that great for myself. Um, so this year I switched to a a feathered friends tanager, which is a a hoodless zipperless bag that you just pull up or push down, and it's nine fifty fill down. Um, and I've slept down into uh, it's rated at nineteen degrees Fahrenheit, um, but I've pushed that temp rating down into the single digits um, in testing this last winter. And so that's what I use on this trip. Um, so I, I try to integrate my my clothing system into the sleep system um, to uh, just to maximize uh, the effectiveness of of what I have with me. Awesome. The I feel like we've kind of uh, left the hunting story hanging at a perfect spot for the quote unquote next segment, which is the hunt itself in terms of you know, stalking and approach and what have you. So to kind of like recap or bring back what, what I recall is you essentially go to bed with these rams in sight. Uh, didn't quite necessarily as you close the distance, get a better look at them, but I'm just kind of curious where the story picks off. Cause according to our quote unquote structure, <laughs> we're, we're kind of at the hunting uh, portion of this whole thing. So where does it pick up? So the next morning I, I woke up about 5 a.m and and peeked over the the small ridge from the depression that i was camped in and and glassed uh, in the general direction of of where i had seen them the night before and i i didn't see them at first and i looked a little bit closer um to my left on the face a little bit closer to where i was camped and spotted them and they were 750 yards away and I was able to get a, a really good look now um, with as the light started to get better. And one was definitely legal. Um, he was full curl. Um, the other one looked to be close, if not full curl as well. And I threw my, my phone on the, the Koa spotting scope and I use a, uh, the, the MagView phone scope. And so I'm able to, to view uh, looking, looking at my phone and take photos and video to really evaluate and, and try to judge um, the age on these guys. And just because they were full curled, um, it, it, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a sure thing. That's uh, the most important factor um, for me um, when hunting sheep is age over everything else, over length, um, over symmetry, how they look um, is if they're not older in that older age class, I'm not interested. Um, I think it's uh, the most responsible thing for for me to do as a, a sheep hunter that goes out and and 
and for the most part kills a sheep every year is to to take the the oldest oldest ram that i can find and both of these look to be seven years old um and so i made the decision that even though it was late in the season um i didn't know if there was other other rams in the area um but it wasn't something i was interested in taking so so i i i packed up and um and headed further back. Uh, there's a another pass that I could go up through um, that passes by a, a pocket glacier and gets me back into another drainage um, that is uh, that was the area that I was originally interested in, in hunting anyhow, um, based off of looking at maps and imagery. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, I packed up, hiked over, um, into an area that the sun was starting to hit and stopped and, and, and made coffee and, um, and, and warmed up after spending a few hours um, laying in the shade that morning, watching these other rams and, uh, and got ready to, to head further back. That's uh, not many guys would do that. Walk no. away from illegal sheep, especially on a, on a year like last year where, you know, I think the sheep were hard to come by. Yeah, it, it's it's something that I I really I don't know if the the word is pride myself in or mm-hmm. just a, a standard that I I hold myself to um, that I'm not going to compromise on just to to be able to say I I killed a sheep and fortunately um, it's it's worked out in the past that um, that holding out is is the way to go even if you don't find a ram. Um, for me, I, I feel, I feel good knowing that I'm not, not killing rams that are potentially still of, of breeding age and they could have an effect on the population. Um, they've, uh, sheep in Alaska have been having a hard enough time dealing with the environmental factors. And while I think that's the, the biggest factor in, in the decline of population, um, uh, killing a ram that is is still of uh, that's still really healthy and and of breeding age isn't going to to help that. Um, mm. And so over the 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 last handful of years, all the rams I've taken have been between um, nine and and uh, twelve years old. So um, I, the average age has been around ten. Um, mm. from the, those five rams. So that's, that's something that I, I really want to maintain. Yeah. So it's kind of nine year kind of minimum. Yeah. Eight, yeah. eight years old or full curl is legal. Um, and so I, uh, I really don't want to shoot an eight year old or younger. Um, I yeah. I'm really looking for nine years and, and older. Okay. So after uh, after brewing up and warming up, I I uh, I checked my my topos and made sure I was going um, in the uh, up the right drainage to get back to where I wanted to go and 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 started heading up. And uh, by this time, the the sun was kind of right in my eyes. I was heading east, and uh, the sun was was right above me. Um, and it was warm, so I, I was able to to strip down to a t-shirt and and just make my way up uh, up this drainage and and so I I started to to get to the top of this this little pass um, with a pocket glacier off to my right, uh, meaning a a, a small um, 
a small glacier, um, not part of a, a larger uh, a larger one um, with a small lake in, in front of it. And I was uh, circling, uh, I was, uh, I was passing by the, the little lake in front of the glacier on the left side of it. And, uh, and looking on looking at both sides of, of the mountains on either side of me. And, but I had the sun in my eyes. So I, I really was having a, a tough time uh, seeing what was around. Um, and about uh, about the time that I reached the top of this pass, I I looked over my left shoulder onto the face that the the sun was hitting, and I saw a lone ram about eight hundred yards away, just sitting on this open face. Um, he had spotted me, obviously, as I was moving along below him, and I I instantly just dropped and and um, and looked through my binos and. I could tell it was a, a decent ram, so I got up the spotting scope, and it was definitely an old ram. He was heavy. Um, he was on his own, and uh, the the feeling of, of of finding a ram like that, um, uh, it was it's it's hard to describe. It's exactly what you're looking for. Um, that I I knew that there was going to be a ram back there, um, but that was uh, not a sure thing, but that's that's what I was looking for. And so I I saw this guy, and the the, the emotions are are pretty strong when you when you see something like that. But he had spotted me, um, he had busted me, and he he immediately got up and started walking to the top of this big base that he was on, and um, so so that was the 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 start of um uh, what was going to be what was going to turn into an epic <laughs> <laughs> well i'm pretty much on the edge of my seat so please continue <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i got out my rifle and um and ranged him um but he he wasn't stopping there was uh, there was no way that he was going to be in range um um, after he started going up that base, um, uh, using the the six five Creedmoor and the and the ballistics of those Barnes one twenty sevens, my my max effective range is going to be six hundred yards, um, based on on the terminal performance of those bullets and the velocity I'm getting out of that rifle. Um, I I know I can have have enough expansion at 600 uh, to make a an effective clean kill and and i regularly shoot out past a thousand with that setup um, um so i know that 600 is is doable in the right in the right conditions but he was already past that and and going up and so what i did is backtrack a little bit towards uh towards the edge of the lake um where there is these lateral moraines um that I could duck behind and hide myself from the ram as he was still continuing up, but I didn't want him to, to, to continue to see me and possibly go over the ridge or get to the top and, and take off. And so I set up um, the spotter and the phone scope and uh, just barely with just barely enough um, uh, view uh, to to watch him still, but to be um, uh, mostly concealed from him, 
And he continued on up all the way to the top of the space, um, a steep 50, 60 degree, 70 degree face. Um, and he stopped right before the top of it um, and and just laid down. And the area that he was in was up in the snow. Um, so it made a, a really good contrast to be able to, to watch him through the spotter and, and really evaluate and and confirm that he was uh, at, at least nine years old and full curl. Um, and I got some great phone scope images and video. Um, but now the, the waiting game started. So this is the 18th um, of September and uh, it closes on the night of the 20th. Um, so I, uh, as I'm waiting and, and watching to see what he does to see if he might start to come back down um, and possibly get in range um, in order to make a, a long shot on him. Uh, I'm in reaching with my wife to get updated weather reports. And, uh, and she, she uh, yeah, gets on the National Weather website, uh, National Weather Service website, and pinpoints my location and, and looks at the, the weather models and, and sees that there's a big weather system moving in. Um, it's actually forecasted to be uh, up to three feet of snow at this elevation in this area the next day, uh, along oh, with high winds. <laughs> <laughs> and so my my heart is sinking a bit, knowing that um, not only is the the, the weather conditions uh, not only are they going to be challenging, uh, but I'm going to lose visibility as well. Uh, the ram is about eighteen hundred feet above me. Um, in the 6,000 foot range. And, um, and if the weather moves in, I'm going to lose sight. And uh, as well as having treacherous conditions and on, uh, on those loose rocks and steep slopes, and maybe even have to deal with, with avalanche hazard on some of the steeper faces, if it does actually snow that much. Um, and so I, I know that this is, this is, uh, the last chance that I have this day, um, even though it was only the 18th, um, it was effectively the last hunting day that I was going to have. Yeah. What's your, I mean, I think you get that weather forecast and like, are you like, I gotta be hiking out of here tonight, tomorrow morning. Like what's, I mean, there's certainly a major safety consideration here. What's that look like? Yeah, you definitely have those those thoughts and, and emotions going through you when you hear something like that because uh, the the big peak that I had to go up and over, um, it's it really is dangerous enough even when it's dry or without snow on it, mm -hmm. and it definitely crossed my mind that I might not be able to get out that way. Um, there was another area that I could go to. Uh, to get out of there, but it was going to be double the distance um, and through area that I hadn't gone through before. So uh, I had the confidence to know that I could get myself out if I didn't have a ram on my back, if the weather moved in. Okay. Um, but if that weather moved in and I had a ram, I really wasn't sure. Um, I knew it was going to be really challenging and, and, and be a pretty hard effort to, uh, to safely get out. Um, and so by this time it was mid afternoon, um, and he still hadn't budged. Uh, 
I'm sure he had seen um, the guide in there before. He he knew that I was danger. He he uh, he wasn't moving from from that high uh, perch of of safety that where he was at. And so uh, about six o'clock that that afternoon, um, I just had. Well, before that, I had the mindset that I was waiting for him to move. Um, I was possibly going to have to make a, a long shot uphill um, because it, it didn't look like there was any other option um, as far as making a making a play on this. Um, but something in my mind switched at around uh, six six p.m. with about three hours of daylight left, and I just thought. I need to go up after him. I need to go up, up the face and get above him. And so my, my whole mindset changed from, from waiting and staying out of sight um, to, to making a play and, and making it happen. Um, so I dropped all of my gear out of my bag that I didn't need um, and went as light as possible just with my, my rifle and kill kit and, um, and decided to make that move. Um, so at this point, instead of being out of sight, I decided that I didn't care if he saw me um, down below because that would just make sure that he stayed up there and 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 didn't start to come down the face. Uh, so what I would need to do is is move up valley a few hundred yards within sight, um, knowing that he would see me at this time and then get out of sight and charge up the face. Uh, so the space was about 1,800 feet um, of probably average 55 uh, degrees, like really steep, um, using, <laughs> using your hands, actually scrambling up through uh, fairly technical rock sections. Um, and so that's, uh, that's uh, the direction I went and just started straight up. Um, about two-thirds of the way up, I got into snow. Um, which actually made it a little bit easier. It was about a foot of snow over loose rock on the steep face, but it was enough snow that I could uh, kick steps and, and boot pack straight up it. And um, in about an hour and 15 minutes, I was on top of the ridgeline. Um, and I had marked on my, my GPS on my phone uh, where he was because I knew that once I was on top of this this knife edge ridge that I would... I would need to, uh, it would be hard to have a reference point to know exactly where he was because he was about uh, 50 to 100 feet from the top of the ridge, kind of tucked below a rock. Um, and it would be pretty easy to to blow him out and, um, or even just go by him if I, if I didn't know exactly where he was. Um, so I was in the snow on the ridge uh, traveling towards uh, the few hundred yards towards uh, where I knew he was going to be. And as I, I got within about 50 yards, um, I, I pulled my rifle off my pack and uh, slowly uh, made my way like on the, the ever increasing knife edge ridge. It started getting narrower and narrower. Um, and right where I had marked um uh, I got to a point where the ridge kind of dropped down below me, um, and I, I slowly looked over the side, and there he was, uh, about 40 yards away, uh, laying in the snow right where I'd last seen him. And uh, 
it, it, it worked out, um, uh, perfectly. I, he, he hadn't seen me yet. Um, so I, I dropped my pack and, uh, and took a few steps further forward and he must've either caught a, a bit of movement or, uh, or, or sense that I was there and he stood up, um, and faced uphill and, and, and was looking straight at me, um, from about 40 yards away. Um, so I, I knelt down and there was a rock, um, about a, a waist high rock in front of me and I rested my rifle on it and, um, I had already set my scope at, at six power, um, previous to this, um, cause I knew it was going to be a close shot and, and, uh, I put a bullet, um, put around, uh, right behind his shoulder um, he took two steps and then fell backwards and started tumbling down the face below me. <laughs> That's incredible. It, it, it couldn't have worked out in a, in a, in a better way besides the fact that he was now, uh, he was now falling down a, a, a steep face um, towards where, uh, where I'd left my gear down below. And he, he, I saw him come to a stop Um maybe about 600 feet below me um, in an area that wasn't the worst area, but it was still like in a, a steep rocky area, but there was no way for me to go directly down. It was in the snow and too many cliffs right below me. So, so I had to backtrack and go down, uh, descend down the way that I climbed up and about halfway down the face, I started traversing over to, to where he stopped and, about an hour hour later, I was able to get to him, and it was actually a lot steeper um, where he was hung up in the rocks than it looked from above. And by myself, um, uh, there was no way to to uh, to do anything except um, give him a nudge and oh, let geez. him continue tumbling down. Um, so it was it was pretty gut wrenching to to watch him tumble um about another thousand feet down the face um there there, there was literally no other choice um so uh, he ended up coming to a rest in a in a, a fairly level area um, but he had gone down about 1600 feet down this face um and uh, by this time it was nearing uh nearing darkness and i got to him and he was pretty beat up. He was pretty bloody and horns were pretty scuffed up. Um, but he was intact. Um, and as I started to, to break him down, there was a definitely a bit of bruising, but, um, for the most part, the meat was, was still good. And, uh, I only lost a, a few pounds of, of bloodshot meat, um, and, and some scuffed up horns, but he was, uh, uh it, it, it was, it turned out okay <laughs> man so wild yeah so within the the course of just a, a couple hours uh, uh things completely changed it went from uh the uncertainty of of not knowing whether i was gonna uh, get a chance on on this ram uh to now um uh, having the the heavy weight of knowing that i still had that weather moving in um I was a long ways back um, and going to have to 
uh, actually going to to have the opportunity to pack a, a big ram um, out of the mountains. And so after uh, after getting them processed and packed up, I went back to uh, that little lake in, in front of the glacier and and set up my shelter and and um, and while I was uh, really really happy and elated to have have found and and made made this happen on an old ram um he was he was a 10 year old ram um the weight uh, i went to bed with the weight of knowing that it was going to be uh it was going to be a probably the most difficult pack out of my life ahead of me over the next multiple days before we dive into that can you elaborate on that decision moment that switch that flipped when you were when you just made that decision of i need to get up and go after him like it, to me i think there's more there than, than what you shared right like it it's uh it sounds like it's kind of just like an internal thing but you also have to think beyond that and like use some logic and trust your capabilities and things like that. So take that where you want, but I just want to go back to that decision moment and some of your processing in that, or was it just purely innate? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that was a a key moment of this hunt where you're viewing a situation in, in one way and you, you're, you're trying to evaluate in your mind whether there's any other plays to make, whether um, uh, this decision is the best one, uh, uh, namely waiting and seeing if he moves from from where he was and and in the mindset of, of needing to make a, a, a long shot uh, to make it happen. And that switch that went off when I realized that I needed to make it happen now or never it really was um it really was a profound moment where it, it wasn't just a thought process of of changing up tactics and making a different decision it really was that switch in my mind where once i thought of that i knew i knew that's what i was going to do i knew i was going to make it happen and i've had those moments before whether it's um like in ski mountaineering or or any other um, activity where you need to make decisive decisions, and and that was uh, one of those moments where it was not just a a, a a mental change; it was a physical change. I just felt this surge of energy and 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 adrenaline go through my body that I knew what I needed to do, and. I had the confidence that it was going to work that I, that if I made this, this, this decision, I was going to, that I had the capability, um, the physical fitness and, and the confidence to, to go up through, um, that terrain and to make it happen. So, yeah, it was, that was the key moment of this entire trip was, was that moment. There's almost, there's also just so much, prior experience built in there i mean you you mm-hmm. predetermining like i need this is going to be a close shot i need to back out my scope right um knowing that you wanted the sheep to see you right like that that all just 
all these things come from paying attention to past experiences and applying it to what the situation you are in that all lead to this success. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is a, a key factor in, in the success of this hunt and, and many of the other hunts I've done is really just drawing on those previous experiences and, and being mindful to, to learn from them and, a hunt like this is isn't something that 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 comes easily um, or without prior experience because all those yeah. things, all those those past experiences, lead up to being able to make um, decisive decisions and and capitalize on on an opportunity and um, to to make to make something happen. We're a, where in another situation, if you didn't have the that past experience, you might not view things in the same way. You not, might not see those opportunities and mm-hmm. and know how to take advantage of them. Yeah, I love how you said just being mindful from past hunts to learn from them. I think that's such a key statement, and that it's something that I really actively try to do, even on hunts that seemingly go really really easily. Right, just to in the days weeks after reflect back on it, and I don't even, I don't put down a journal or anything like that, but just make mental notes of what happened and why you're successful. And it's just such a critical role to continue to evolve as a hunter and become better. Mm -hmm. And I think once you're back home after a hunt, the hard things seem a little bit easier and, and you don't really, um, you're not in the same, uh, headspace as you were when you were out there undergoing those difficulties and trials and so what i like to do is take notes when i'm when i'm out in the field like in my shelter each night and really make notes as far as gear choices what's working what's not my mindset um in the in that moment that i can look back on because it's easy for some of those things to to um to become a little bit clouded or to n- not view them in the same way but i want to be able to look back at those notes later on and see where i was where i was at as far as my my mental space and 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 see what i thought was most important while i was out there in that moment i like that and so I'll normally just take out my my phone and 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 keep notes um, from each hunt. Um, so so I'll have a, a folder with with uh, each day um, just uh, logged in there. Not just the the technical details, but uh, those those other other things I spoke of as well. So the final kind of category to break down is packing. Um... Obviously, we talked before about some different strategies that you use, different scenarios, how it's dictated by terrain, etc. cetera. Uh, as it relates to this story, we know weather sounds like it's coming into play. So where, yeah, I mean, as you said, you kind of go to your tent that night uh, after the success, but with a bit of trepidation about what may be ahead. So pick up from there and how does this go? I mean, it sounds like you're you're up against quite the endeavor here. Yeah, uh, trepidation is a is a good word, <laughs> um, but when you're you're so far back um, and you have this immense challenge in front of you, it's it's not something that you can shy away from. You 
you eventually have to face it. And while I went to bed with a, a bit of trepidation, when I woke up it, uh, the next morning, um, I, I was focused on, on what I needed to do. Um, and so uh, I, I didn't even attempt to single carry out. I knew that I was going to deal with, uh, with the snow and rain and, and steep terrain. And so I immediately just loaded my pack um, with, uh, with the meat first. Um, that's, uh, I was going to double carry everything out. So I was using a Stone Glacier Terminus pack um, with its internal load shelf. Um, so I, I loaded up the, the meat and, um, some of the, the necessary survival gear that we, we spoke of earlier and, and headed down, um, from this pass. Um, and so my, my game plan was never to be too far away from each load. So I, I traveled down, um, about three miles down to a, a, a small, small Creek and, um, and dropped the load and, and headed back. Um, so that was going to be the game plan is just to uh, leapfrog those loads. Um, uh, and my goal that first day was just to get to the, the base of the big peak um, that I'd gone over to get into this area. And so I spent all day um, doing about three, three separate loads um, down into a valley and, and up onto a uh, the uh, the uh, alluvial plain of this this glacier um, uh, that's right at the base of this uh, large face, um, and so as as the day went on, that first day of packing out, the the wind picked up, it started to rain, um, and by the time I found an area to set up my my duo mid, it was it was blowing between thirty and forty, even in the protected cirque that I was in. Um, in front of this glacier and it was raining sideways it was it was getting pretty nasty um, there was there were some spots where I could have set up a, a freestanding shelter in a little more protected area um, but there just wasn't enough room for the duo mid so that's when I really started to uh, to evaluate my my shelter uh, selection for this trip but I had to deal with what I I had with me at the time. So it was a more open exposed area and um, got it set up uh, with uh, some large rocks and all the stakes and, um, and went to bed after a, a, a big day of packing. I, that first day was about a, a 4,000 feet of elevation gain um, with those loads. So uh, that, that night um, the wind continued and, uh, and uh, I didn't take into account where I was camped that uh, there wasn't much um, there wasn't much vertical relief in the big flat like alluvial plain that I was in. Um, and so through the night, uh, river channels started to form on top of the the sandy uh, sandy flat area that I was on. And I woke up with uh, with driving rain and streams like small, like shallow, but streams running all around my, my camp and even starting to, to push underneath the, the shelter as well. Um, so I was using that, that Z packs bathtub ground sheet and, um, 
uh, my pad definitely would have been wet if I if I hadn't used that. So it was a kind of a, a, a close call as far as um, uh, getting my gear wet and 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 being being a pretty bad situation. Um, so that was definitely something that to keep in mind for for future reference is to to try to at least get a little bit of height above any any flat areas near a glacier um, because there's a good chance if it starts to rain um, you're gonna get get wet and so that that second day of packing um, it, it, the face I had to climb was was obscured by by clouds um, and it was you could see right where the clouds started uh, it, it, there is the the snow line as well um so i i started with the first load and this climb um was was close to a a 3000 foot 3000 foot climb to get to the peak um and there is no going over a shoulder or side hilling around uh, to get around this peak there is a, a glacier on the north side and and vertical cliffs on the on the south side so i had to go literally to the top of a, a nearly 7000 foot mountain um with <laughs> with this load uh to be able to get to to get to my my egress point and and out of the mountains um so this this was the most challenging day um you're starting off in in driving rain uh, my dew point rain gear was was leaking through the zippers um coming in through the neck um so i was i was definitely starting to to get soaked um so i worked my way up through um the cliffy steep areas. Um, and this actually would have been a good, good time to have micro spikes at least, or even crampons. Mm. Um, but I was using, um, uh, uh, Hanwag friction two boots, which are, uh, nearing, uh, like mountaineering boot stiffness, which is pretty key to be able to, to, to basically front point up up steep rocky areas and and steep alpine uh, grass um, where where a slip on some of these areas would have meant um, uh, probably a, a lethal fall so it was really serious strain to to get up um, with a 70 to 80 pound pack on and um, I I wanted to get all the, the low, each load all the way to the peak. And so that's, um, that was the plan. And, and so I continued on up through the, into the snow line and, um, uh, through, uh, the, the midpoint on the mountain, it started to go from rain to sleet, to slush, to full on snow. And, um, uh, and got the first load up to about 6,700 feet on this mountain, um, just off of the peak and, um, and cached it in the snow, um, buried it on, on the ridgeline in the snow. So it wouldn't blow away and, and went back down. And so by this time I'm wet. Now I'm in the snow. It's, it's in the twenties and blowing about uh, between 40 and 50 miles an hour and to go from this environment back down through the slush and sleet into the rain uh, was was miserable to say the least uh, to get that second load. 
Jeez. How are you managing your safety? And by that, I mean, not just the climbing, like preventing a slip or fall, but just in these conditions. And I'm not aware of like the timeline, but just your own survivability in terms of avoiding too much cold or moisture exposure, things like that. Cause you're not at a point where you can just, you know, this isn't a, Oh, I'll be out of here in six hours. I can get cold, wet, whatever, like no big deal. I mean, you have to take all of that into consideration. So what were some of those like decisions you're, that you're trying to make? Basically once I was that wet and cold, um, I knew I just had to keep moving um, it was it, 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 almost an overwhelming task to get both of those loads through that terrain and up to that, up to the top of that mountain. But it, it was definitely a case of just focusing and, and channeling my, my thoughts and, and my focus into the task at hand and really breaking it down into and just the the next step and the next few feet in front of me and and not not thinking about the immensity of of the task and what i had to do but really um keeping that mental strength um to to not let it get overwhelming um because even climbing a, a single 3000 foot face in those conditions with a, a, a small day pack would, would be challenging enough, but to add in 80 pounds, um, it, even looking back now, it's, it, it feels overwhelming and, and extremely difficult now. But in that moment, um, I didn't have that viewpoint. I just had the view that I needed to keep moving and to, um, to get through probably one of the most challenging days of my life. Uh, and, and so that's what I, what I kept in, in my mind, um, the forefront. Yeah. I mean, what choice do you have, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there, there was no other choice. <laughs> yeah. And so when I left camp that morning, I, uh, I improvised, um, uh, the, the pitch on my duomed using my tripod, um, in the center to to keep the gear that I left behind dry, and, and so as I got back down off the glacier and and to the shelter, um, by this point almost that entire plain was flooded. Um, there was I had to to walk through inches of water across this this plain to get to my tent, which was nearly completely flooded by this time. But I had I had put my gear in a in a lightweight dry bag and and kind of wrapped it up in the bathtub ground sheet and and things were mostly dry. So I I loaded up and 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 took the the mid down and started back up. And uh, this is where it really things really started to get difficult as I got back up into the snow um, because I was completely soaked by this time. And, and I was a lot colder that second time getting back up. And so uh, about, uh, about um, 7 30, 8 PM, I was back on top with both loads, uh, but it's almost dark now and I'm really cold and in about two feet of snow and 50 mile an hour winds and i'm nowhere near where i need to camp um so uh, at this point i i 
took just the I took the next load and started down. Um, um, it got dark within the next hour, um, and so by headlamp, I I worked my way down a another steep base um, down to a, a saddle, uh, the first flat area where I could pitch my mid, um, which was about fifteen hundred feet below the summit, and set up um, and and got inside. Um, and the nice thing about the mid is you can just you can just take all your gear off and spread out inside it, um, and and get organized. And I threw on some dry clothes. Um, I staked out the mid fairly fairly good, um, but that night it started to gust um, over fifty miles an hour. Um, I wasn't in a very protected spot, and about one a.m. Um, I had a couple of stakes pull out. And as you know, in a, in a, in a floorless non-freestanding shelter, that's, that could be disaster. And so I, I turned on my headlamp to see that the, the foot end of the mid was flapping and my, my trekking poles, which were strapped together with a ski strap were, uh, were at an angle and the mid was dangerously close to a, to collapsing. So the, the first thing that I could find, um, was, uh, my jet boil cup. Um, and that's what I used. I kind of reached underneath and, and grabbed a couple of the stakes and, and hammered them back in, uh, bending the, the jet boil cup, but that was the only thing that I had handy. And so I, um, I had no other choice, but to throw on my wet rain gear and go out into the dark and, and and go find some more rocks and 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 put them on top of the stakes and uh, so after about an hour of of fighting that i was able to, to climb back in the mid and 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 kind of sleep for the next few hours those wake-up calls are never fun <laughs> <laughs> no it was it was not what i wanted to deal with that um after the the day that I had before and and with how wet and cold I'd gotten but it was uh it was one of those situations where um you just have to act otherwise um you're gonna find yourself in in a really bad situation so probably not too much uh sleep that night (laughs) no no so uh, the ne- the next morning it was uh, there was even more snow up high and it was full on winter storm and uh, and so with uh, the I I just had to work my way down into into wetter wetter areas and uh, into the rain and um, and the next uh, the next two days I um, I shuttle loads. Um, to get back to my truck. So it, it took another two full days, um, to get both of those back, um, uh, back down to the truck. Four days of packing meat. Yeah. So it, it turned into, uh, four days, um, 42 miles of packing and, uh, the, the crazy, the crazy part of the whole pack out. Um, once I added up all the, the the vertical that I had uh, had to cover um, was the pack out alone. I covered nineteen thousand vertical feet of elevation gain and descent um, in order to get that get that ram out. 
that's just a whole other level. Yeah, that's a bit of work. Wow. I knew when I had, I had killed around that far back that it was going to be a, a big effort, but um, I didn't quite realize the extent of, uh, of, of what it would take. Um, and, and that's, you know, you're covering the ground three times when you're double carrying, you know, you're the first load going back mostly empty and then the second load. So um, uh, the mileage and, and vertical adds up pretty quick. Um, doing yeah. it that way. Holy cow. Yeah. So on, uh, it closed, the season closed on the 20th. Um, so the evening of, uh, September 22nd, um, so when I finally got out, got out to the truck and made the, the long drive back home. Did you, you had enough food to sustain you for those extra couple of days? Yeah. You know, I went in with, uh, with, I believe it was eight days of okay. food. Um, so I, I definitely had enough, enough food for the, for this trip. I knew that I, I wanted to have a, a margin of, of food in case, um, I got weathered in, or if I mm. killed a sheep on the 20th and it took me several days to get out, um, gotcha. that I had enough. What was, uh, communication and all that like with your wife during this time? Cause going back to I think that was prior to the kill when you had enreached with her. Like she's the one that told you the storm's coming. So she knows based on the weather report, what's expected. And obviously I'm sure you're communicating a bit during these days, but is she, was she pretty worried about you or just kind of knew like, Oh, there goes Ben again. Yeah. That, uh, the, the latter, <laughs> she's, uh, <laughs> she's definitely used to, uh, to me going off on, on, pretty intense and uh adventures in the mountains and and often solo so while she does does worry she she trusts that that i will make good decisions and that that i'm capable of of making it back and um having the the in reach uh like like you've brought up steve several times that in reach is absolutely key um to these sort of trips not only for safety but uh, to to reassure loved ones back home that that you're safe and and also for the uh, uh, being able to to inreach inreach a few friends which I I did on this trip and 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 let them know that I had a ram down and and then throughout the pack out being able to communicate and just send a few messages to a few select uh, a few select friends and and be able to to receive back uh you know their their messages of encouragement and and knowing that they they have your back if if something really went went sideways and and you needed mm-hmm. assistance i had had offers from from several friends that they would they would you know make a, a 10 hour drive and and hike in through that same train that i that i went in through and in order to assist me if I, if I really needed the help and, or if I was injured and, and couldn't get it out on my own. Um, so while you are relying on, on your own mental strength to, to, to physically, uh, to get through, uh, these challenging situations, having that, that, that support from, from your friends as well, uh, really just adds to that. And, um, and, and builds your confidence, um, and, uh, and, and helps with that drive to, to get out. 
Man, I don't even know how to wrap up a story like this, Ben, other than to say, man, thank <laughs> you for sharing it. Uh, man, I can't imagine what, you know, when I, when I think of like a hunt after the fact, right? Or having the quote unquote trophy or putting your hands on antlers or horns or seeing it on the wall or any of that stuff, right? To me, it's all about that trophy quote unquote bringing back the memory of the adventure and what you went through and all that and i just can't imagine what this ram means to you yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right like this adventure was and this hunt was it it was pretty mind-blowing as far as uh, looking back on it like it, it seems like it would be a hard hunt to beat but you know, every single year, every every sheep hunt feels that way to me, um, because mm-hmm. I uh, the the way that I approach it is that I'm going in for for the experience of the adventure and the whole process, not just going in after a a ram that I'd spotted from an airplane and and going in just to to kill something. Um, I'm going in knowing that I want to. Uh, have an incredible adventure and so that's the way i plan the hunts um that i do go on and so it it just inspires me to to do something a little bit bigger and and greater and not in the fact of of getting a a better ram um, but just to have even a more epic experience the next season Um, so a hunt like this just fuels that and it also built my my confidence and in the fact that i don't know how far back i can go um on a solo hunt and kill a ram um i mean this was a, a long ways back and and four days and nineteen thousand feet of climbing just on the pack out alone um really it it just it boosted my confidence because i did i was able to complete that successfully and i felt great it's hard to hard to believe but i i got out and my body felt great i didn't have a single blister um i felt like i could go out the next day and and go on a hunt um so i i really don't feel like i've push the limit as far as I can. And I don't think I've found like the limits of, of where I can, where I can go with solo hunting. And that's so exciting to know that, um, the adventures to come are, are going to be, um, even, even more epic and, uh, and who knows, um, where they're going to lead, but they're, um, they're, they're going to be hunts that are memorable. Well, what a way to cap an awesome story. I say this a lot, but I truly mean it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I loved this conversation with Ben, hearing the story and learning from him. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting the show. Don't forget we have the giveaway going on right now in July of 2023. Check the link in the show description to get entered at exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you just leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using where you can do so, or just share the show with a friend. And once again, if you have any questions or feedback for us, you can always email podcast at exomountaingear.com. 
And finally, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.